Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Encounter. This week, we look at Jesus' encounter with the man with the shriveled hand. Each day, we have the choice of just giving God a service-level relationship or reaching out to Him with all of our flaws and imperfections. What are you choosing to present to God? All right, we're going to continue our encounter series. I want to encourage you. We still had some cards that we put in seats today. Take those cards. Invite somebody to church. We are covering this in prayer, this whole series we're doing on an encounter. And it's about encountering Jesus through the encounters that Jesus has with other people. I, I, we're just praying, believing that God is going to bring many, many people into his kingdom through this. And just covering it in prayer. Listen, last week we had three people give their life to Christ. Amen. And we had five. We had five who uh, made rededications that they wanted to commit their life to live for God. And that was awesome. That was the first Sunday. So listen, I, I believe that God is moving. Um, he's working in the lives of thousands of people around us right now to bring, him, bring, bring them to himself. All we've got to do is intersect them where they are and show them what it is they're really looking for, what they're feeling in their heart right now. So will you do that with me? We, I believe we can change this community. I believe that, that us and the other churches who are seeking God's heart can change Statesboro, Georgia and beyond. Amen? All right. Well, I want to read some scripture to you. Then we're going to get into our next encounter uh, that Jesus has. And uh, I'm going to read this, and then we'll, we'll have a testimony real quick, and we'll get into uh, the Word of God. It says in Mark chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says in verse 1, Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him. On the Sabbath, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And listen to this. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, uh, that your heart is to heal and to make whole. To make us complete, God. I, I pray that we would turn our hearts, our attention, our, our ear, all of our being to the one who created us and knows us better than anyone to find that wholeness. Lord, I do pray that we would encounter you today through your word. Thank you for what you've already done here. I I, I thank you, Father, that people would encounter you in a mighty and awesome, life-changing way today. Anoint this word, God. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. My testimony, I guess, is really a faith journey. My parents were Christians, and this was part of our lives, to be involved at the church. Um, I went through high school, was involved in uh, youth activities at our church, and had some what I would call mountaintop experiences. And those days, my lifestyle wasn't perfect by any means, but it never strayed really too far from what I considered being a good girl. 
I guess I'd always equated being a Christian with morality. I went on to college at, at Georgia and was still staying involved in a church, but I guess I probably strayed like a lot of young people do, just didn't have a daily walk with God at all. In March of my senior year in college, I married my high school boyfriend, Bruce. We were expecting our first child after about three years of marriage, and um, we did both decided that we've got to get better about this, and we need to go to church and Sunday school because we want our children raised like we were raised. Then um, a bombshell dropped at 33, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is a, a cancer, and I had to face uh, things that I'd never faced before. Our children were three, six, and eight, and my first concern was them. Um, what if, what if they don't have a mother? What if, what if something happens? But after I got through the, the treatments and began back into life, I went as far away as I had ever been. I uh, uh, began to, to do things that I had never done before. I was living a lifestyle that I had never lived before. I was still, I think, a, a good mother, and um, but this was all outside the parameters of, of being a mother. Um, I just, I just turned away. And then one day, Susan, who was 15 at the time, came to me and said, "Mom." Look at this knot on my neck. My heart dropped to my feet. And I told Bruce, as I talked to him later on that day, I said, if she has cancer, I will lose all faith. I will not believe in God. I just can't believe this. I was angry. I, people would say, oh, God understands. And I, I know that he did. And did I just not believe in God? No, I didn't. But it took quite a while uh, to get through those feelings. I saw my young daughter have a faith that was remarkable to me and to her daddy. Um, we heard her, her voice, her fears, and her concerns. But through it all, she had a remarkable faith. And because of that faith, I think I rediscovered my own. Um, it didn't happen all of a sudden. As my whole faith journey, it was just a walkthrough. But I really saw that in her. And from that time on, uh, as years went by, I got involved in more Bible studies. Um, I, I did listen to more teachings. And I finally began to realize that, you know, God loves me, that he never promised that there wouldn't be trials. In fact, he said there would be. And I began to see something that I'd never seen before happen within me, and that was a personal relationship, a daily walk with God. And that's what I attempt to do now, is have a daily walk with God. There's one thing that you take from that or take from any of this today. The one thing I want you to hear is that God desires a personal, intimate relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that God, I believe, desires more than anything else. The reason that we were created is to have a relationship with him. And so that is our opportunity, our awesome opportunity. As we celebrate Easter today, we celebrate the fact that we serve a living God who desires to have a living relationship with us. 
not something that's based on our own merit, not something that's based on us adhering to a set of rules, but it is something that God wants us to do by faith in Him as we walk hand in hand with Him to every day, as she said, through a daily walk. I want to tell you a quick story as we get into this. Um, there was one time we moved here, I guess it was in 1985. We moved here, and we lived over in northwest Georgia, and as we were uh, over there, my dad moved down here to work at Plant Vogel. They were building the nuclear plant, um, and he was moving down. He was transferred with Georgia Power to come down here um, and, and help build that nuclear plant. I went kicking and screaming, did not want to come here. I was like, this is the most backwoods place I've ever been, and then I just adapted um, over the years, um, but I didn't want to come here. And, uh, but we moved down. Well, we made several trips. My dad was down for about six months before we were. So we made several trips back and forth. And I specifically remember one trip in particular because, you know, at the age of, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 10 years old, you aren't really excited about being in a car. You know, you don't like those long trips. And so we're riding. But mom and I had gotten into a good conversation. We were talking and, and just talking about all kinds of things, listening to the radio, singing songs that neither one of us can sing. But we were singing and, and we're having a big time. And, and we're coming down I-16. And those for you who've traveled I-16 know that that is probably the most boring road in the United States of America. It is long and straight. And if your car would just, you could just like put it on cruise and go to sleep because it's that straight. And so it, it's, it's long and straight. We're riding and riding. We're talking. We're, we're totally oblivious to everything. And then finally we see a sign. We're like, okay, here comes our sign. Savannah, city limits. It was not good. If you've ever traveled I-16 to Statesboro, you know if you get uh, from northwest Georgia, you know that when you get to Savannah, you have gone too far. And, and the problem, we didn't go just a little bit too far. We went way too far, like 50 miles too far, and then had to go 50 miles back to get back to the right exit to get to Statesboro. It did not make me like Statesboro anymore. I can promise you that. So we turned around, and we made our trip back. And it's funny now, but boy, was I upset then. But we, did, we just bypassed the whole exit. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about this scripture in which uh, Jesus is, is getting irritated getting angry with these people because they're, they're not wanting him to heal this man on the Sabbath. And I thought about the distractions in that car and, and, and the way we were traveling and we're moving along and, 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 and 70, 80 miles an hour going down the interstate. And I thought about how if we're not careful in life, we get distracted and we miss our whole destination. We miss everything. We miss our destination because we're so distracted in life that we miss it. And I believe that that's one reason Jesus was so upset with these Pharisees and these, these, uh, these basically these hypocrites who are in the synagogue. Because here this man is with a shriveled hand. He, he, he's hurting. He's lacking. He's in need. He's not whole physically. And Jesus comes along and has a desire to heal him. And I believe the reasons he was so upset was one, because they were denying this man wholeness. They were denying him being made whole through the power of God. And the second thing, and I, I don't know that this didn't bother him more. The second thing is this. He realized they've missed the whole point. They missed the whole point of this whole thing. The whole point of ever since Adam and Eve, God trying to reestablish a relationship with himself and his people. And here they are. They missed it. They don't get it. They, they, they've equated it to just a few little rules. A few things, actually a lot of rules 
that they wanted to try to follow, and they had lost the whole relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you know we still struggle with that today? We still struggle with that today. See, I think this is the truth. I, I really believe this with all my heart. I believe there are three types of people. If you're in this room, I, you fall in one of these categories, okay? I fall in one of these categories. And, and, and I want to tell you what I believe these categories are. See, first you've got this group that, I mean, they're probably from like right here at the edge of the podium to over here, okay? Just, just picture this in your mind. And, and this is the group that, that they just don't care about God. They could care less about who God is, what God does, what he says, anything like that, okay? They, they could care less. And so you've got this group of people, and, and they just give in to every insatiable lust there is. There's an understanding of morality that's built into it, so maybe there's some lines you don't cross. But the funny thing is, as you live and you live away from God, those lines seem to continue to move, don't they? Think about when you were dating your boyfriend or girlfriend in high school. Did the lines not continually move of what was okay to do and what wasn't? And how good are we at rationalizing that away? Is that not true? Uh, how good are we at when we're, we're just drinking a little bit and we're, and we're getting drunk? Uh, but at least I don't do that. And then all of a sudden something else comes along and looks a little bit more appetizing. And this has gotten old, so we just moved the line just a little, right? Surely this won't hurt. Just, let's just bump that line over a little bit. And so there's this one group that it, it just kind of tends to continually get rational. And please, if you're offended by it, I'm going to be an equal, um, equal offender today. I promise. If you're in this group, I will offend everybody before the day is over. So just, just sit back. Your time to gloat will come. And so you get, you get this, this group right here. I want to read you a scripture real quick that I think kind of describes this group. It's out of Galatians. Chapter 5, it's verse 19. It says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you see, here's the thing, that there are people who live in that, that, that array of things. But before we start judging those who drink, who are given to drunkenness, who are given to sexual immorality, we need to realize that it also mentions envy, selfish ambition, and dissension. So before we start judging people, we need to realize that probably most of us are guilty of one of those this week. Okay? So before, because the church has gotten really good at telling you what you're doing wrong and, and what you need to do about it, right? And so we've got this group of people, though, that live so far away from God, so far away from God. And then you come here, and we're going to have this other little section right in the middle. And then you come over here to this section, and I'll explain that one in a minute. But here's this section from there over to here. And this is a group of what I would term as religious people, churchy people, Right? That, that we've given ourselves over to so many rules and regulations that uh, we just can't even hardly... We are more bound up over here than these people over here, are we not? Now think about this. Those of you who have been around church and those of you who haven't, because most of the people that you probably know who are in church, their face resembles this. That's, that's, that's most of the people that we know who are in church, right? Well, I can't do that. Bless God, I wish I could do this. And, and they're angry and they're bitter. And then this group over here is looking at them and going, God, no, I don't want to be a part of that. If this is, if, if this, 
is what I get from this, then no, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. And see, somehow we have gotten this church, those of you who are in this group, so messed up. So messed up. This is not what God's intended. We have missed the point, church. See, Jesus didn't say that when you become a Christian, they will know you by being a sourpuss. That was not what he said. He said they will know you by your love. By your love. And somehow we've missed that. Paul, listen, this is what I would read to describe that group. Galatians 5, chapter 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I would give in for that, wouldn't you? To have love. Most of us are dying for love in some way, some type of self-affirmation right now anyway. To have joy. Wouldn't you like more joy in your life? To have peace. Wow. How about in our world right now with everything that's going on, wouldn't some peace be good? Yes. Have patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of those things should belong to the church. But somehow we have ended up in this group. We've ended up in this group. And rather than caring about people's heart and internal, eternal destiny, we'd rather be like the Pharisees and point fingers at them and tell them why they're going to hell. Will we not? And so that the church, I actually know a couple of guys who've written a letter that they're, they're giving out to people on campus. You may get one of these. It's actually a, a letter of apology from the church because we've missed the boat. And we've got so many people who sit in church week after week and they're missing the whole point of why we do this. This is not to burden you. I don't think God was sitting in heaven looking at everybody and going, I think they need one more burden in their life. They need one more thing to do. That was not what God wanted to do. God's intention was to relieve you of the burden, to release you from the burden, to give you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all those things that he promises. They're ours. He wants us to have them. He, he really, really, really wants us to have those. Because look at this. This is so, so funny to me. You've got a group over here that live their own way, do their own thing, act the any way they want to, doesn't bother them. Conscience is seared like a, as with a hot iron. They're just living, doing what they want. Little morality, but it slips here and there. And so you're over here. And, but what happens if you live on your own long enough? You end up frustrated. You end up miserable. You end up lonely. You end up with all those things. Given to yourself, you will self-destruct. You will. At some point. So we look at those things and we can say, bad people. And slap them on the wrist and say, bad. Bad, going to hell, bad. But when you come over here and you look at this group, they're miserable, they're frustrated, they need love. And it is, it's like a mirror. And see, the problem is the church doesn't look any different than the world. So why don't we, no wonder nobody wants to know Jesus, right? It's our fault, those of us who are in the church. If we're living in this place right here where all we are is frustrated and miserable, that is not what Jesus died for you to be. He died to give you life. 
And I want you to know, if you've been watching people in the church and all you see is this, I apologize. Because we misled you. And what ends up happening is these people over here end up disillusioned about God, right? Because they're looking at the people of God, and they're going, and I know you're like watching a ping pong match this morning. But they're looking at the people of God, and they're absolutely disillusioned about what a life for God ought to look like. True. They're looking at the wrong they're looking at this and they're getting an idea about who God is based off of something that is not the reality of who God is. And then you've got these people over here who are disillusioned because they think this is all there is to it. And both groups are looking for something more. They're looking for something different. There, there's got to be more to life than these two things. Right? And so I want to tell you what I believe is the secret so if you go to sleep today I brought my handy dandy golf club so that I can whack you with it and if you've ever seen me play golf you'd be like oh you wouldn't hit it anyway <laughs> but I brought my golf club because I want to tell you something I want to tell you a quick story it's funny now it was so irritating at the time but, but my, my brother-in-law and I and, and my father and I, I can't remember who all was in the fall we were on vacation and we like to be miserable on our vacation so we go play golf and so we, we're playing golf, and we're playing at this really nice golf course. You know, these kind of places where you got to have the, the button-up shirt. And, and I feel to, so totally out of place because I'm like, do I have everything on right? You know, yesterday we went and played. I forgot my belt. I'm like, are they going to let me play? You know, those kind of things. But we're down there, and, and we're, we're playing, and I'm doing my, like, twice-a-year golf thing. And, and we're playing on this really nice course with these really nice houses all over the place. And, and, and not nice people, but... Everything else was nice. And so we're playing, and, and I'm up there, and all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe on the third hole or something, uh, it got real bad. Anybody ever heard of the shanks in here? The shanks, if you played golf ever before, you, it sounds like a third world disease, but it's not. The shanks is not a disease. It is actually something that happens to a golfer occasionally, to me more than it should, where you actually cannot, for the life of you, hit the ball straight. You can't. It, you, I can't think myself into the shanks. I can't think myself out of the shanks. The shanks just happen. And when they happen, it is the most frustrating, most miserable thing that you will ever experience in your life. Because every time you swing, it doesn't matter how good you think that swing is, you swing and it goes, just like that. I mean, almost 90 degrees away from you. And I'm doing this for like three, four holes. And I'm talking about, I'm over the ball, putting it, afraid I'm going to shank it. That's how bad it was. I'm like, I don't even know if I can hit this thing straight. Chipping it. It was terrible. Couldn't do anything about it. And so we finally come up on this par three at, uh, at the golf course. And it was probably like a 150-yard par three. And there's this guy walking his dog down the side of the fairway. He just so happened to be on that side. And he's walking his dog. And, and, and I'm nervous. I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, this is terrible, most miserable. I'm never playing golf again. Ever, 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 ever. And so he's walking his dog. I'm about to hit the ball. And my brother-in-law yells out, Sir, you might want to watch out. <laughs> and I look up, and I see this guy walking his dog. I'm like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> he is dead. And I'm about to hit the ball, and Chad, he goes, all right, hey, hey, sir, you might want to watch out. And the guy looks up, and he goes, why? 
And Chad goes, you'll see. <laughs> and, and, and I'm standing there, and, and I'm like, this is not good. This is not good. And the guy kind of moves down. And sure enough, take away. Here he comes. And it just blisters right past where this guy was standing. Hits one of those really nice houses. It was so embarrassing, and I couldn't do anything about it. But see, this is what I want you to think about today, is you've got these two groups of people, and in one of them, it would be like hitting it off of this part. It's called the hosel. It, it would be like hitting it right. That's what happens when you shank the ball. You hit it, and bring it goes. And I mean, it is so frustrating, so frustrating. It feels like you have hit a, a, a rock instead of a golf ball, and it's just the most miserable thing. Everybody loves it except for you. Everybody loves it but you. And so I'm up there and it's, yeah, it takes off and, and I'm just, just miserable. But there's this other group over here on this side and this is called the toe. This will be the toe of the golf. And I'm not trying to give you a golf lesson. I, don't, I know very little about it. If you ever play with me, you know how little I know about it. But if you hit it off of that, the same thing. And it is frustrating also because you hit the ball and it doesn't go anywhere. It just still feels like you're hitting a rock. I mean, it just, it just vibrates. You're like, ah, you know, it hurts. But then there's this other place. And this is the place that God calls us to. And what's this middle part called? The sweet spot. Yes. And when you hit a ball on the sweet spot, man, you think you're like uh, Phil Mickelson. You think you're the best golfer ever to be. I mean, you think, and, and it's that one shot. You've shanked it for 17 holes, but on 18, baby, you get your shot. King, right down the middle. And I mean, it feels like you can't even hardly feel it hit the club. How awesome is that? You can't even hardly feel it. It takes off, and you're like, yeah. Everybody's like, good shot, man, good shot. You're like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hit as many as I do, you know. And, and, and so it's the sweet spot. I got to tell you this story because this was so cool and, and this will never happen to me again in my life, most likely. But yesterday, we had this little grudge match with our family. My father-in-law and his son and son-in-laws, um, it's foursome, um, have gotten this little thing going where maybe every year, every other year, we'll play my father-in-law's brother, his son, and his son-in-law's. So it's four against four. It's a grudge match. And we play, like the stakes are high. I mean high. Because the, the, the loser has to buy the winners a blizzard. And I mean, that's worth playing for right there. A Butterfinger blizzard, that is worth playing for. And so um, we're out there and we're playing. And we get to hole number 12, which is a par five. And we hit. And because none of us can hit it very far, we had to lay up short of the water, but we're standing there and we're about 85 yards out. That's almost a football field for those of you who, I, I want to make this as dramatic as I can because this was awesome. I mean, this was so cool. And, and we're there and it's about an 85 yard shot and, and we're up there and everybody hits and I was hitting last because I'm the best golfer. I'm just kidding. I'm not the best golfer at all, but I was up, I was hitting last because they figure by the time they get to me, there's no hope anyway. They just get in the carts and leave, but I'm hitting and, and I get my little pitching wedge out, and I just chip it. And it was one of those moments where the sun's shining, you know. The birds are, are tweeting, you know. They're, they're, they're making their little noises. And, and I hit it, and, you know, and you, I hit it good. Oh, it was on the sweet spot. And, it's just, and then a little bit of grass flew up in there, and I'm in my pose. <laughs> and we're all standing around. You know, looking at the ball, and the ball's in the air. The sun's hitting the ball. 
and the ball's flying, and I'm like, wow, that's headed right towards the green. Wow, over the water, and then it hits, and it rolls, and it rolls, and it rolls, and it rolls, and then... An eagle, baby. It was awesome. I was like, yes, I'm going to Augusta National. <laughs> and it was an eagle. Put us up by two strokes. Didn't matter. We lost on the 18th hole. Went in, one up, and came out, one down. And so we ended up losing. But it was so awesome. I mean, I hit it, and I'm just watching. I'm like, no, this is good. This is way too good to be my shot. And then it hits and rolls and disappears. And everybody's like, whoa. My other brother-in-law comes up. He grabs me by the, he's jumping up and down with me. And I'm gasping for air. And, and man, it just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. And, and it hit the, 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 the hole. And we just, I mean, I think everybody was in disbelief, you know? It was so cool. But I connected with it on the sweet spot. But you know, and this is crazy. You're going to think I'm so weird that this was the thought that went in my head. But I'm standing there on hole number 12. I just hit an eagle from 85 yards. Most incredible shot I've ever made in my life. And when the ball dropped in the cup, the first thought I had in my mind was that doesn't compare to the love of God. I know you think I'm weird and you're thinking, he's full of crap. No, I'm telling you the truth. I thought, because you know, this is the truth of uh, no matter where you're at right here today, hitting a golf ball on the sweet spot and even when it goes in the hole, it doesn't compare to when you hit life on the sweet spot and you're living for God. There's no comparison. It doesn't come close. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can come close to that. Everything just ends up failing in comparison to the awesomeness of God. Even the greatest golf shot you've ever hit in your life. It was the first thing I thought of. It's, it's, it's not nearly as exciting as Jesus being raised from the tomb. It's not close. I mean, I'm glad it happened, but it's not close. And so God calls us to hit the sweet spot. He calls us to hit the sweet spot. Listen, in, in Galatians chapter 3, this is where I believe the church has gotten to. The church has got, the, and, and I, I read the scripture wrong while I want to correct this. The sweet spot is the fruit of the Spirit. It's being able to walk and live in that because you're living by the Spirit. The, the, the Galatians in chapter 3, Paul's writing this letter to them. And he's saying, listen, in, in, in chapter 3, he says, how is it that you started out in the Spirit and now you're again trying to live by the law? In other words, how is it that you started out in the joy and love and peace and patience of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and now again you're enslaving yourself to the law? You're trying to live a life that you can't live on your own because there's two things I can promise you. Whether you're in this group or this group, you can try all you want to, but you can't make life work out on your own. You just end up frustrated and miserable. And Paul's asking them, why is it that you're continually trying to work this out on your own? See, I went through this myself. See, I was over here. I was way over here. If it, it was like I was barely on the stage over here, okay, and, and in this group. And then I had an encounter with Christ, and, and, I mean, it changed my life. I talked about that some last week. It changed my life forever. I know it changed my life forever. But it wasn't long until this, after about six months, had began to turn into this. And one reason is because when you're a new Christian, the other Christians like to drag you into their misery. They do. 
they like to take you right here and say, okay, now a good Christian does this, 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 and this. Now you need to be on this committee. You need to serve doing this. You need to be here on this. And before you know it, every night of your week and of your life is filled up with something that you've got to do for church. And so there is no life other than church. And if we're not careful, what happens is we miss the sweet spot because we're distracted by all of these other things. All of these other things begin to take the place of this sweet and awesome relationship with God. Now, is it not like the devil to take and use both sides of the sweet spot to cause other people to look and go, there's no way I'm doing this. I don't want this. Why would I sign up for this? Nobody would. But God calls us to this place of surrender. You know what? I love pastoring this church. I love it. As long as I stay in the sweet spot. When I get out of that, when I start trying to put it on Brandon's shoulders instead of letting God handle it, and it starts to become Brandon's church instead of God's church, it doesn't take too long for me to be right here just mad but as long as I stay in the sweet spot and I remember that this life is not about me it is about God and the sweetest fellowship you can have is with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and the sweetest fellowship you can have is with other people who are living in the sweet spot and sharing life together there's nothing better than that but we've got to stay here if we're going to give the world a proper representation of who Jesus really is. I had a, a professor in school, in seminary, he said, you know, he said, uh, he, had, he lives in Washington State, where he said their, their, their culture is like four generations removed from like a Judeo-Christian background. It's, it's different from here, but probably not as different as we think. But he said he had a neighbor, and the neighbor um, was talking to him one day, and he had to, the guy found out he was a Christian, didn't want to have anything to do with him, and so he ends up having to butter him up just to be able to talk to him. He's like having to cut his grass or take him food, doing things just to try to make the walls drop down, just so he could even talk to him. And finally, one day, after they begin to have conversation, this guy just looks at him and he says, tell me one thing. And he said, well, I'll tell you either. What, what do you want to know? He said, why are Christians so angry? Why are Christians so angry? And he's like, I don't know. But is it not true that rather than doing what God says and showing the world that we are Christians by our love, typically, typically, we'd rather point fingers We'd rather tell them how to live instead of showing them to live. Think about this. Those of you with children one day, those of you who will have children, think about this. If I were to just write my kids a note, I write them a note and I say, here, son, live by that. I have nothing to do with my children. I have nothing to do with them. Do you really think when they're 15 and 16 years old, able to make their own decisions, they're going to give a flip about what I tell them to do? No. I've got to be pouring myself into them. I've got to be loving them. I've got to be showing them the way to a, of a, a path with, to God. And then maybe they'll care when they're 15 and 16. But I wonder sometimes if it's not part of our problem with God is that we've done the same thing as the church. 
We've taken the letter that he's given us, but it's exactly that. All it is is a letter that we read, that we go through, and it's nothing more than, 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 than print on some paper. And there's no fellowship, there's no relationship between us and God, and because of that, we really don't give a flip what he thinks. But when we get to know him, I mean know him, not know about him. When we get to know who he is and the love he has for us, we'll want to obey him. See, we've got it backwards. We want to make people obey before they even know him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But as soon as somebody becomes a Christian, we want to take them and throw a bunch of junk on their back to ask them to carry it around, and it's just not right. We need to be showing them through our love and our actions and then maybe these people will want to become not these people but people in the sweet spot people who live in a relationship with Jesus I remember when this happened for me we were on our first anniversary Susan and I were and oh, it was romantic we were uh, at the Holiday Inn um, and uh, it was a big spender back then and we were in Helen, Georgia, and we, we basically had gone out and toured Helen in like five minutes. And we come back to the hotel room, and it's our first anniversary, man. It was an awesome night. We were, it was so, candles, no, no candles at all. It, it was nine o'clock, and, and I look over at Susan, and she's like, <laughs> I'm like, great. What do I do now? I'd been, I'd had my encounter with Christ about nine months before. I'd been on fire, man. It was awesome. But I started feeling that starting to wane. I started feeling it kind of disappearing. And so I went and I was like, I don't have anything else to do. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm sure that honored God. Um, I don't have anything else to do, so I'm going to pick up my Bible and do a little reading. And I remember I opened it up to 1 Corinthians, and I began to read. And that night, it was absolutely incredible. I began to experience God through the Word instead of just reading the Word. I began to realize that this is a living and active word. It's very real and alive. I began to be convicted. I began to see things about God and about myself that I didn't know. And the problem with a lot of us as Christians is not only do we not know who we are according to what God says, we don't know who God is. Because when you really begin to know him, it begins to change who you are. It begins to change the way you look at the word of God, prayer. It's not something we check off our list. It's something that we long to do because we want to know him more it changes our whole perspective on everything everything's kind of flip-flop for us as a church and we need to get to a place back to a place where we want to be with god not just to do but just to be we take god and we make him another mark on our our task list for every day and we need to get to a place where we're actually experiencing him one more story and we'll go when i was about well well, it was, it was when my cousin and I, we were, we were at an age where we had had it with life, honestly. I mean, we had gotten to a point where we were done. We were through. Our parents didn't know anything. Um, they, they were always on us, you know, throwing these rules at us that, that were just impossible. Uh, they didn't know. Uh, the rules were ridiculous. And, and so my cousin Dusty and I decided we had had enough and it was time to leave home. So at the, the, the age of seven, we pack up and we decide that we, we're, we're out, we're leaving, we're done. And so we take off through the woods and we knew that promise lay on the other side of those woods. Actually, it was just a dirt road um, that we came to, it wasn't promise. But we, we come to this dirt road and we, we start walking down the road because we had had it and we were fed up. 
We're going to take it anymore. And we're walking down the road, and, and we got up, and we, we saw somebody's house, and the guy was outside with a bow and arrow, and he looked kind of scary. So we turned around, and we started walking the other way. We thought, promise must be down this way. And so we start walking this way, and we're walking along, and we're just having a good conversation. Just, you know, I wonder if they miss us yet. You know, da-da-da-da-da. Don't have to put up with that anymore. And we look, and we see this black truck coming down the road. And Dusty goes, man, that looks like my dad's truck. It's like, yeah, it does. Kind of we walk a little further, see the truck coming down the road. Man, that really looks like my dad's truck. I was like, yeah, it really does. And then we look, and I see somebody sitting in the back of the truck. I'm like, wow, that looks like my dad. And then we're walking a little bit further, and we're both like, oh, that is our dad's. And we, we thought we were so far away, they'd never find us. And, and, but it was them. And, and it just, we're like, oh, man, we are so dead. We are so dead. And so we go back to um, their, my cousin's house, and it was not pretty. Not pretty at all. I remember I, I got very few spankings when I was a child, but this was one I'm tell, I'll never forget. Because we walked into the room, it was one motion, and then from there, the room became a blur. It's like this, you know. And, and I'm running. It, it, was just, it, it was a throwdown, you know. And, and I, I remember it so distinctly. I never ran away again. Even now, I would be afraid um, to get that spanking. But, um, but we thought that, man, running away is going to bring so much promise. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get us right. We'll finally be able to live like we want to live. We'll finally be able to do the things that we want to do. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about, man, how, is, how much is our life like that? How much is our life like that? We run from one thing or another, every one of us at times. See, it's easy for us to be right here and to move over here and go, oh, I messed up, and to get back here because we realize the weight of this. And, and we run from God thinking that if I can just do it myself, it'll be okay. If I can, I can have control over my own life, if I'll just adhere to a few rules and I don't have to be in this relationship with God. I don't have to listen. I don't have to do, I don't have to, to care what God thinks or says. We come over here and we run away from God because one, we're disillusioned by what the church has shown us and two, because we just think God's got nothing for us. God's got nothing for us. So we live in this place trying to do it on our own. We're running from God as hard as we can run. And yet the sweet spot is right here. It's right here in fellowship with God. How crazy were we to run away from our parents at the age of seven thinking that we could have it better? But how crazy are we, one, not to come into the sweet spot with Jesus Christ, with God? Or two, to ever leave and think that it could be better if we dictate our own lives and not give up control. There's one scripture out of that Mark chapter 3 that I want to refer back to real quick. It said there that Jesus told the man, reach out your hand. Reach out your hand. And it says that the man stuck out that shriveled hand for Jesus to see. Jesus had told him, he said, listen, stand up in front of everyone. Get, get right here in front of everybody. Jesus could have taken him to a corner to heal him. He could have taken him out of the synagogue to heal him. But he said, stand up right here and reach out your hand. And I thought about that. You know, he could have reached out the good hand. He could have. And don't we do that at church sometimes? We come in and, and this hand, is, it's all jacked up, but we would prefer to put this one forward and act like everything's okay. 
And yet if we'll come to realize the love and the grace of Christ, we can confidently reach out that shriveled hand. We can confidently reach out our addiction to pornography. We can confidently reach out our, our marriage that's in trouble. We can confidently reach out our, our lust and the improper relationship that we're having with our boyfriend and girlfriend. We can move from here to here or from here to here, and we can find God in that sweet spot and find that healing and wholeness that God wants us to have. God wants us to have that. Do you want that for yourself? So you can't base it off of what you've seen here and you can't base it off of your experience here. You've got to base it off of what God says here and what you know in your heart. That God is love. There's no greater love than what God has for you right here, right now. It doesn't matter what you did last night. God loves you. And God wants to take you and clean you up and change you. doesn't matter what you did last week. God loves you. And he wants to clean you up. He wants to wash you and make you whole. That's a good God. Amen. That is a good God. Well, let's pray.